Coronation Day for Brad Trey Living. The new general manager of the Toronto Maple Leafs. We've got the media conference today on Sports F59 of the Fan on Sports S. We're going to be available on pl- all platforms. I'm going to jump in with Blake Murphy at 11. As the media conference happens, we'll set it up. And then if it gets done before noon, uh, he and I will walk you through some thoughts that we have. I, you know me if you listen to the show. I, I love these things. <laughs> I, people go, well, it depends on what he'll say. And I go, I will find some things to parse. <laughs> <laughs> I, will, I will find a thing or two to talk about off of this media conference today. So, yeah, I'm going to do that with Blake. And then, of course, Jeff Merrick's at noon. And then Real Kipper and Bourne right after that at 2 o'clock. So pretty much wall-to-wall coverage all morning and afternoon on the, on the Brad Trey Living stuff. So, yeah, keep it dialed to the station Stay connected. And yeah, we're going to have all the podcasts up. It's going to be a great day. So I've got James Myrtle in a few minutes. And I want to share some thoughts that I've been sitting on with Trey Living, the hiring, and just sort of how I've been feeling about it over the last, I'd say, 48 hours. And yeah, I'll just say this. This is a bit of a tease before I get into it. Is It's a little complicated, but it's actually pretty straightforward. And I feel as though a lot of you are feeling the same way. And so I'll try to flesh that out today, and I'll try to get into that with James. Okay. But first, I just need to share a quick thought on the Toronto Blue Jays. I went to the game last night with Blake. And, you know, Manoa's still walking guys and doesn't look like himself. I'm looking at this Brewers team. They got Julio Tehran on the bump. And I mentioned it yesterday, right? This is not a guy... His numbers were low because he had just been a triple-A call. Uh, Abraham Toro, Canadian guy, but triple-A call-up who had been struggling in triple-A, launches one on a no. But even still, like the Blue Jays gave up four runs in this game. This was not a beatdown. They're boring. <laughs> They're a boring baseball team, man. I'm at the game, and we were kind of moving around, and we went, and, like, Blake's mom was there, so we stood and talked with her for a while. What a sweet, nice lady. Like, really, just a good person. Met up with a couple of my friends later on in, in the, at the ballpark, went down, and just, like, had a couple of beers, was watching the game. It's good that they've put in all these social areas, but, man, can you hit some home runs? Can you be interesting? Can you feel not completely just boring? That's how they, they feel right now. Like, tell me I'm wrong when you're watching these Blue Jays games. Who are you excited when they come up to bat? No, you're uh, right. They had the top of the, or sorry, the bottom of the eighth. They had the top of their lineup up. One, two, three. Bing, bang, boom. All, comp- all out just right away. Like, Kevin Biggio doubles are the highlights of the game. This is what we're doing here with the Blue Jays. It's just, it's very underwhelming right now, man, this team. And, and I want to be more optimistic about them because I do think that the baseline for the team is supposed to be a good one. And if you do look around baseball, this is sort of the, the biggest thing for them right now is there's just not a lot of amazing teams. There's, it's not exactly like, wow, look at all these awesome clubs that have been put together. The NL is a tire fire in terms of just exciting and interesting teams. But the Blue Jays, just they're not interesting, man. There just doesn't feel like there's a thing about them right now. I've said this before. What is the thing that makes you special? And, and I'm just not able to land on that still. And watching Vladdy struggle and, and those numbers continuously drop hurts. Seeing them put Varsho back up in the four hole hurts. 
Springer just doesn't look the same. And I like Chapman, but it was really nice when Chapman was your seven hitter. And he was, remember, it was like Chapman's the best seven hitter in baseball. And you go, that makes sense. Now he's your five. He probably should be your four, but they keep doing the, we're mixing up the left, right thing, which is fine. Makes sense. Just they're not, they're not an exciting team right now, man. It's just, it's, it's a bit of a slog to watch them. And it, it reminds, the bad thing is, is that they remind me of teams that I really didn't like during the Shapiro Atkins era, the teams that they were specifically meant to not be competitive. They're obviously not that bad. They're obviously a decent team, but man, oh man, oh man, you shouldn't go down to the ballpark and feel like a team is, feels out of a game when they're down a few runs early on. Like Manoa gave up that bomb. They're down 2 nothing, and they're the kind of group right now where you go, ugh, it be tough for them to come back in this one. That's a bad, bad feeling. Anyway, I'm not enjoying myself right now with the product. The product is pretty flat. Anyways, James Myrtle's online. The guy... He's a saint. He's in Kamloops, his home. He's there watching his Blazers in the Mem Cup. And, man, I actually feel bad because I'm not tracking Mem Cup at all right now. And I actually really like the tournament, but it's completely been in my blind spot right now. Just with everything that's been going on, it's, it's just not there. But good morning, James. Thanks for joining me. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, a little uh, 6 a.m. wake up. I think you owe me uh, a beverage or something when I get back to yeah. Toronto. Yeah, uh, yeah I, I think I can swing that. I think I can swing that. That's a pretty reasonable request. I don't think anyone's ever had to twist my arm to get me up for a beer. Like, oh, uh, no, nah, that's, no, that's not really my thing. That's not really the thing that I like to do. Um, okay, so uh, I've been with this for 48 hours now, and I want to start with this just kind of like with a take, and then we can move into some stuff. But I, I like Trey Living, okay? I'll start with that. I think that he's actually a little bit of an underrated GM. When I went through all of the different moves throughout his tenure, I went, man, he got three guys in Goudreau, Kachuk, and Adam Fox, who, if they buy into the Calgary Flames, I don't think that he's the GM of the Toronto Maple Leafs today, right? The Adam Fox one is really tough, but you go look at some drafts, 2015, 2016, he nailed them. He's got some bad free agent signings, right? Nothing overly crippling unless Markstrom never turns it around. But like we just saw with Bobrovsky and goaltenders, you know, you sign a guy with pedigree, that might end up working out for you sometime down the line. These guys can end up going through slumps and they can have their ups and downs and whatever. But I I don't really want to kill them too much for stuff like, you know, the James Neal signing because history of the NHL has taught us that when you sign free agents to basically any kind of money in term, you're usually paying for past production. And in a hard cap league, it's usually pretty tough to turn those guys into something where people go, wow, you gave player X $4.5 million and it worked out. It's just not, it's just not this league. It's not really a lot of leagues to be fair, other than outside of like the, uh, the uh, NFL. Um, so I-, I think he's fine. I think he's good. I think there's reason to believe that there's some interesting stuff here, given his track record with Kachuk and Goudreau and people look at that. However, they want to look at it either. Well, he has the experience here and that's a good thing that makes him interesting. He's on the record of not wanting to walk guys to free agency the way that he did with Goudreau. Um, but then people look at the Kachuk trade and they say, this is somebody who made a disaster and he did lose a player for nothing, whatever. Ultimately at the end of the day, what keeps kind of gnawing at me is that it's, it's change, but it's not just Shanahan's team. Like, 
this is just now the kind of same regime. Maybe we see some more movement within the front office, but Shanahan's there. Trey Living did not, it was like a 12-day search for the general manager. This wasn't some big-time extensive look where they went through a million interesting candidates. It's not splashy. Like, this is not a Brian Burke or a Lou Lamorello or a Kyle Dubas hiring. This feels a little bit more like Dave Nonis, where you're just sort of bringing somebody in and they're good. You don't know if they're great, but there's not this incredible pedigree. It's fine. Um, I'm just, like, underwhelmed. And it, it, frankly, right now, from a especially with the Sheldon Keefe stuff potential where he returns, it, it just, it, it does, it actually now doesn't feel as good to me. It, it feels a little flat. It feels like a little bit too much of the same. How are you feeling? Yeah. Today? I mean, it's pretty interesting that it's leaking out that Keefe might come back and the core four might come back. And yeah. it's, you know, yeah, it kind of feels, feels a little bit like Shanahan's the GM, right? You know, and exactly. it kind of reinforces some of, you know, the stuff that was leaking out of the front office during when the, when the Dubas talks went sour is that there was a little bit of that going on with, or maybe a lot of that going on between Shanahan and Dubas. So, um, you know, and it, it shouldn't be that big of a surprise that the president is exerting influence on what's happening. It's just, it's kind of weird that what's happening is that a, some of this is at least the way that it's leaking out from, you know, Elliot Friedman and, and Chris Johnson and people who would know, mm-hmm. um, the way that it's leaking out is that Shanahan talked about wanting the coach back mm-hmm. and also told the core four players that he wanted them back as well. And I think you're, I think there is going to be some more movement in the front office, but there's just not a lot of time for tree living to make wholesale changes. I think, I think you'll see a couple of changes. Um, but you go back to, you know, two weeks ago and the way that people around the league were talking, even the way people, in the front office, we're talking. There's going to be mass upheaval and, and and things like that. It sure doesn't seem that way. It sure seems like the the Shannon plan now is run it back again. Yeah, the supporting cast is going to change, but mostly run it back again and cross your fingers that you get a different result next year. And it's very very interesting that the one major substantial change that might happen was the GM, and that wasn't. I don't know. It didn't feel like that was the one at the top of the list of what needed to change after that loss to the Florida Panthers in round two. Well, it doesn't need to change if you're keeping the same president and he is going to exert himself over all of the hockey operations. Like that, that's the thing here is I, I, when people were like, Dubas shouldn't have been fired and they should have brought back Dubas. I, I, I admittedly was torn on it. I think I had this conversation with you where I went, man, it feels really strange to have this little success over this tenure and then be rewarding someone with more power and with more money and a long-term deal, especially given that, like, how would it feel if the lease went into next season and that the plan didn't work, right? Like, it does feel, wouldn't feel very good. Certainly not. But that, Yeah, but, that was the thing. Like, they had to commit five or six years to right. do this. Like, it wasn't, you couldn't put dip your toe in and say, yeah, like, you know, like, without the extension, they, they didn't have that option. Exactly. And, yeah, there, there, was, there was nothing else. There was no other possibility on the table. Like, yeah, you're not signing general managers to one-year contracts or two-year contracts or things with extensions or outs. Like, that's not a thing. So I, I just keep looking at this now and say, well, all right, it made sense. It made it was okay to say you want something better, you want something different, you want a fresh perspective, you want fresh eyes, but none of this really feels all that fresh because, like you mentioned, he's coming in here, he's working under real tough time constraints to get up to speed on everything. Yeah. There's still a mess to clean up with some of the the drama that's happened within the front office and the dissent that's happened and some of these leaks, whatever. You've got a couple of weeks before these no movement clauses kick in. Nothing's going to happen before then. 
And yeah, it just feels like if there is anything that's going to transpire, it's all going to be at the behest of Shanahan, whether it's the coach, whether it's the players, whatever. So do I really care that Brad Tree Living is going to be evaluating a free agent class that is underwhelming and Toronto like doesn't really have a lot of room to operate within? I just don't. Am I supposed to believe that the real upside here is that a draft that we didn't know he could be able to participate in, <laughs> he's going to have a drastic impact, especially not like fully knowing maybe this entire team top to bottom. I, I don't know. It just, I'm feeling really lukewarm about it, even though I like tree living. Yeah. Well, the, the degree of difficulty with what he walks into is, is pretty high too. Like you got to figure out the Matthews situation. You got to figure out the Neilander situation. I mean, obviously it doesn't, it doesn't sound like they're going to move Marner, but if you want to even like think about it, you got to do that before July one, he's got to, mm. he's got to handle that. Um, you got to figure out, yeah, and uh, I mean, you, you mentioned the the free agency situ- situation. Like free agency is the high degree of difficulty. The Leafs have nine, ten UFAs. Mm-hmm. They've got one key RFA and their goalie. You know, none of those negotiations are going to be easy. You know, every agent in the league is looking at free agency and being like, my guy's going to get more than anyone expects just because of what's available out there. Mm-hmm. And I think that goes for most of the guys that the Leafs have going UFA. And so. You know, we can, I mean, we don't need to get into like the Troy Brower and James Neal signing and, you know, litigate everything that Tree Living did in Calgary. But I think for any GM coming in here, there's going to be a danger that you're going to overpay some guys in free agency just because almost every team is going to be in that boat and they're going to have to find some bargain buys. And there's just, there's a lot that he's going to have to, to navigate here. And, um, you know, and it's it's not even like like he doesn't have really experienced assistant GMs. I mean, Pridham is has obviously been around for a while, but a lot of the rest of the front office that Kyle Dubas built is it was kind of his his team, right? And it was a pretty. I had a comment from someone outside the organization, like it's a relatively green front office overall. Like it's not like they have a lot of people with you know AGM experience outside of Toronto and. In some ways, it's good, but in some ways, if you have someone new to the organization coming in that needs to lean on some of the institutional knowledge, there's not as much of it uh, in this front office, and it's going to uh, Shanahan's going to have to be involved. I mean, it's just yes. I think he's going to I think he's going to be. Yeah. Um, but it, it's this is very much going to be, you know, the Shanna plans last stand here the next two years. And as I said off the top, it's really really interesting that they're looking at running the same group back again. Yeah. And it's just like, yeah, okay, it's the same group, but without Kyle Dubas, but a guy who was, um, yeah, involved in every single one of the decisions with the construction of this roster. And that that was the thing I came away with and I kept thinking of is like, all this is is the Shanna plan. This is no, like Kyle Dubas in a weird way is sort of absolved from a lot of responsibility for the failures if this group continues to do that right like if and if they win through running it back he sort of ended up getting some credit now and people will look at this and say well this was a Kyle Dubas team I actually feel like from a narrative standpoint at first he was in a really tough spot with the whole hey I'm not sure if I want to be a Toronto Maple Leaf and this market is sensitive to that but now I'm sort of looking at it and saying this was the Shanna plan all along this is all Brendan Shanahan. He's the constant throughout this. He's the thing that's moving forward. And again, as much as I actually do like tree living, and yes, uh, you mentioned it, Neil and Brower and uh, the Hamannick move was a really, really tough one for him. Everybody has those mistakes on the resume. I just look at everything on a whole and say, 
I think he's pretty good. I think that he's got some pretty damn impressive moves. Those Calgary teams were very good. And they got they ran into a red-hot McDavid the one year, and he had insanely bad luck with three, yeah, uh, American stars who just didn't want to play in Calgary, like flat out. But ultimately, I'm just, I'm not sure. It's funny. It's like, I, not ironic, but it is a little interesting that, yeah, there was seemingly dissent from Dubas about what t- his autonomy was going to be. And maybe that wasn't all hockey decisions with him and Shanahan or however their relationship worked. But it really does feel to a degree that tree living here is not some autonomous figure. He's not like a Brian Burke who's coming in or a Lou Lamorello coming in where it's going to be like, hey, this guy's making whatever moves he wants to make. Just sort of feels like he's going to be Shanahan's executioner. Uh, Yeah, I think that that's right. I mean, I I think that. Yeah, I mean, and if you're Shanahan, you're probably thinking, I don't want to bring in someone that has full autonomy when it's my ass on the line here. Right. You know, I want to be involved. I mean, I'm sure that that's part of what's happening, and it'll be interesting. I wonder if I wonder if Tree Living is probably going to get some front office hires. It'll be interesting to see. Like, does he bring in a right hand man who's got a lot of experience? And mm. I mean, let's you know, we go back to you're talking about. You're like, yeah, you know, this is okay, this is fine. Was there any hire out there that you would have been really excited about in this role? Like, is there anyone that that really stood out that you think they, they should have talked to or that they could have brought in? Well, what I do think is that <laughs> what what does feel a little underwhelming is that it was it was tree living from the start, right? And not that you want drama. And in fact, I think there's a real strong case to be made that if they identified him as the guy early and they said, no, it was never anybody else, they got some fresh eyes on the situation, I don't think that there were a bunch of free candidates that were overly impressive um, I do think that all these guys end up getting their names dragged through the mud by fans. Like none of them are competent individuals when they all have been GMs and all have had successes and failures. Like I, I I'm not a Mark Bergevin fan, for example. Right. But his yeah. team did make it to a Stanley cup final and beat the Toronto Maple Leafs. And people talk about him. Like he's the world's biggest loser. And I'm going, then Kyle Dubas is the greatest. It's like his team beat Kyle Dubas's team. The one time they got to face each other. Uh, like I guess his team failed in the regular season the next time around, but it is always fascinating to me the way people kind of twist this stuff. I think that the Doug Armstrong stuff was a little fascinating because that's what you want, right? You wanted some big-time hockey person to look at the Leafs and say, this is my dream job, and if I'm leaving my current situation, then it's because I am going to have a major impact on this franchise. Like, I am going to be something that is going to be someone who is going to be able to push back to Brendan Shanahan, someone who is actually going to be able to put their own imprint on this franchise immediately, look at this with completely fresh eyes and not be beholden to any of the players, the coaching staff, whatever. I just, the the way I'm looking at it right now is I like this GM. I think he's competent. He's really well liked. He's very much respected. Um, I've heard from multiple people now that he's very patient um, in his thinking. And yeah, I think his track record is decent. I, I'm just not sure that this job, this time right now, it, it feels very different from anything else. Like that's just the the bug I can't quit. One, one name I'll throw away that I think is kind of interesting, who I think they probably should have talked to, is Mike Gillis. And I know he's been out for a while, but what he did in Vancouver was really, really interesting. And you do have Lawrence Gilman somewhere buried in the Leafs front office. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what his his role really is. He he kind of has been it's marginalized like there. Guy. But I thought he was... Yeah, I, I he really kind of like got pushed, like I said, to the to the margins of the organization and lost a lot. Like he was a GM at one yeah. point. Um, but, you know, he and Gillis were really close, and I just think that Gillis did a lot of really good things in Vancouver, but he's been out of the mix for a long time. But there's someone who, 
there's someone who was, who was really kind of like a free thinker and different and, and built a good team and doesn't have as much baggage, I don't think, as tree living. But mm-hmm. again, that's that's probably someone who's going to want a lot more autonomy to come in and and, and do his own thing. You know, it's he's someone who probably would be more interested in like a president's role himself. So, um, no, I I think everything you're saying is is right. It's just and the other thing, too, is that it could work like it could work to run everything back. It's not like you're running back a, a dog team here. No. You're running back a team that had 111 points this year, and 115 the year before, you know, and, and, and when I say there's a high degree of difficulty, there is. But, you know, if, if what Treeling was trying to do is just like sign Nylander and sign Matthews, I mean, he can do that. And, you know, maybe he ends up overpaying them a little bit and, you know, but you've got them under contract for one more year. The cap's going way up a year from now. Even if you overpay them, it's it's not like something that's going to tank everything here. Uh-huh. And it's if they do bring it back, it's going to be another regular season where it's like, I mean, <laughs> you know, we're just going to be waiting for the playoffs again. But I, Nightmare. you know, yeah, yeah, it's it's going to be tough from like a ratings and interest level no. standpoint if they don't make any major changes. That's for sure. I mean, I I just and this is the thing too, and. You know, I got I I got radioed myself. I radioed myself at the beginning of the season when I said <laughs> that this is the most disliked Toronto Maple Leafs team that I could ever remember when they were in that early season slump because it mm-hmm. was and that the the point I made and like the part of it that didn't make it into the radio is that when you have this baggage, you carry it over year over year, right? So people just get they blow their tops immediately because they go, "Well, we've already seen this before." And so when you have a bad night against the Anaheim Ducks, you don't just toss it away like with most teams. You go, man, I'm so sick of you guys having nights like this because you've had nights like this when it matters, and now I'm super frustrated. And so bringing this whole thing back as an entertainment product is a nightmare. There's a case to be made about, yes, the the hockey side of it, because you can always make that where you go, well, why wouldn't I just want the most talented guys? And you say, yeah, all right, that's a pretty fair example. But I actually think that the Leafs very much right now we always do. I used to do the segment called "Losers Like the Leafs," right? Where it was other teams and other sports that reminded me of the Leafs, right? Where I would go, cool. and it was always like the Sixers and blah blah blah. But I actually think that the Boston Celtics right now and the Toronto Maple Leafs are very much in the exact same mold. Where the Celtics have these two young stars who are just entering their prime in Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, and both those guys are going to be paid. Um, under the new CBA, an insane amount of money that's going to take up a lot of the salary cap. And now in the NBA, they still they have a soft cap, as people know, but it is changing. There's now basically a new second apron, so a second tier that you go into in the NBA, where if you hit it, you start losing things like the ability to trade draft picks in the future. You're not only just taxed heavily anymore. It, it really messes with the contracts that you can sign down below. And it feels more like a hard cap. And now I look at this with the same thing where it's young players and you say, yep, they're, they're young. Tatum and Brown are young, but they've had, I think, seven or eight kicks at the can together. And they keep getting further than the Leafs, but different sport, but ultimately just like can't get over the hump, can't actually break through and always sort of feel like there's something missing. And so, yeah, I, you can lose a window of trading some of these guys for higher values or deciding to move off of these guys before you end up mm-hmm. giving them big contracts. And I feel like the Leafs are at a similar crossroads where you go, the other option is to take a step back seemingly. That doesn't feel right given where they are with some of their prime guys. But extending this core four and having them move forward, I just, I'm really not convinced that one playoff round, five playoff wins in one year 
is real evidence that they're just ready to break through and that this goaltending stuff or the they've lost to teams that have ended up in the Stanley Cup finals narrative is is something to really believe in rather than I, I do think that there is a bit of a fatal flaw. And the more you pay these guys and the harder it gets to build a roster around them, that that's what I'm more concerned with now. It's, you know, I, I, I'm sure you've seen some of it. There's kind of like this civil war going on in the fan base right now with like the uh, people yeah. that wanted to keep doing <laughs> Like it's, it's, I think it's unlike anything I've seen before. I mean, you'd have to go back to kind of those known as teams that, you know, when they were, they were bringing in David Clarkson and stuff like that, that that was when, the fan base was at each other and social media is just so much bigger now. And it's nine years later. And, um, the, the interesting thing, all, the people on the side of the run it backside are saying things like, Oh, you know, like Brandon Shanahan, like was a really good player and he didn't end up winning the cup until I mean, what was Shanahan 29 or something like that. Like he had, he had been around, he had been in St. Louis and Hartford and a bunch of places, you know, Ovechkin didn't win until he was what do I, 31, 32, you know, go down the list. Like there's, there's examples of teams sticking with players for a really long period of time and finally breaking through. But you know, the, the counterpoint that I have with some of that is like, you look at like those Washington Capitals teams, for example, they changed a lot of other things. They changed a lot of pieces of the core. They didn't keep running back Thomas Focoon and, you know, Dennis Weidman and Alex Semen and, you know, the guys that were getting it done for them in the regular season in 2011, they didn't, they didn't bring them back all the way to 2018 when they won the cup. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, you stuck with Ovechkin as your core uh, Backstrom. Like they had a couple of pieces that, that were, they kept through all of that, but there, there was a lot of change and there was a lot of change in the front office and a lot of different coaches and all that kind of thing. Like, so I don't know if there's an example of a team having as little postseason success not. as the Leafs have had, and still, like you just, I could just end the statement there. But also, and still bringing back so much of the core again and again and again. And we talk about core four over and over and over again. You know, I think Morgan Riley. I mean, it's almost core five, which just is. doesn't sound as it doesn't sound as good. It I doesn't know. rhyme, so we no. don't say it. But you know, with the contract that Riley's got, he's part of it now, and the the only thing is that Riley's been really good in the postseason, but still it's, you know, you're bringing back the same group again and again and again. Yep. And you know what? This is why I've landed on this. We need to stop doing the whole Matthews and Nylander and this one breath with the two of them. Like Nylander's a really good player and it feels harder to say this given he really did show up in some pretty solid ways throughout the postseason. But there were also some games where, you know, I remember one game specifically where you and I were texting going, he's maybe the worst player on the ice. It was like, (laughs) and then he turned it on. I think that was the game where all of a sudden he showed up in the third period and decided that he was going to really try. Um, The game historically is you back the great players. And that's why you need to get things. There's one priority this offseason, okay? It's not Matthews and Nylander. It's not settle the coach. It's not figure. It's Matthews. That's it. It's Matthews. The game is you keep the guys who are ultimately special. And as frustrating as Matthews is, and as much as there are the questions about, you know, his will. Well, to health win. is a big thing. Health, yeah. yep. There's a bunch of things. Like the fact that he's a six foot five guy who basically refuses to put a body on anybody or play with any nastiness, right? Like I, I'm so tired of seeing Austin Matthews get in a scrum and someone picking on him and him trying to do the smiley, laughy thing. It's like, man... It, do something like take a, 
can you please go take a boxing class like during the off? You know when fighters hey, he did do have that? his first NHL fight in the playoffs. Like he, yeah, did, you know, know. he was dragged into it. But. I know, but it just I want to see a little bit of bite, a little bit of nastiness. It, it goes a long way, man. Um, so you got to keep Matthews. That's it. And yeah, you're probably gonna have to overpay him, and it's gonna look ugly based on how much he, you know, success he's had the postseason and how tough it is right now, but. You'd wish, ideally, you would wish that he would come to you and say, listen, I'm going to take a little bit less, right? Like, I'm going to take a bit of a haircut like McDavid where I get paid the most, but also it's not as much as I could get. Show a little bit of buy-in. I'm ready for whatever you guys want to do. I understand we haven't had successes. I'm totally bought in. I want to be the face of this franchise, the leader of this franchise. It just doesn't seem like he's willing to do that. It's like, he's like, I want the money. I want my buddy. Yeah. In, in your mind, what's 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 like an, an overpay, ugly Matthews contract look like in your mind? Like what, what like if you're picturing what it would be? <sighs> well, one is I, I don't. It's it's like I'm not trying to skirt the question here, but <laughs> I'm just I'm just curious because I, 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 I think whatever you come up with, I'm probably going to say yeah, it's probably going to be worse than that. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> that's the thing is my my issue with whatever you're going to give him and how bad it's going to be is that. It's the same thing that I felt with Kyle Dubas, where I'm going, man, Matthews, you get to be the best player on the Toronto Maple Leafs. And frankly, that that should matter. I Like, Matt Sundin was my favorite player growing up, right? And Matt Sundin was a really good player. He's a Hall of Famer. He's no doubt about it. But, like, compare Matt Sundin the way that he is revered compared to some of his contemporaries, right? And it's a little... Uh, you would say it's at least, I feel blasphemous saying this, especially since I've had him on. It's hard for me to get these words out of my mouth. But, like, you would say that... He's he's vaunted a little bit, right? In terms of his all-time look back of who he was as a player amongst the greats, right? He's what? what? Like what? He's, I, I, I... he's he's elevated a little bit, right? He's in the conversation with guys that were a little bit better than him, right? That uh, accomplished I mean, a lot the tough more. Thing with, the tough thing with Matt is he didn't have enough to play okay, with, yeah. right? Uh, hey, listen, so don't like... do my defense. Like, don't do not do well, the I mean, thing I, I've been doing for the last, like, 25 true, years. Yeah, I know. It is true. It's it is true. true. All like, right, I'm getting was, off of this. He was playing with donkeys on yes, his wings sometimes. Of course, like, man. I remember the so... Kyle Wellwood is like, now he's got a guy with skills. <laughs> like, oh I'm not putting names to that comment, but radio me. No, no, no. Anyways, my point here is just like, I know that sports is a business. I know that uh, some people want to just cut everything out and they say, well, the players can get traded and all this blah, blah, blah. But like, no, superstar players are supposed to have a different feel, a different attachment to some of these organizations. And for Matthews, who's already been given so much money up front, has had no success. You really would like to feel as though he cares about wearing the maple leaf and that he knows that in a hard cap era that he can't have everything and expect to have like the results that every one of the greats has done it. You know, even McDavid did it when he got that huge contract. He went back and lopped a million off right before he went into the negotiations. Like well, Sidney Crosby has done too. it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He's got, yeah. so he's going to want to go in there and man, you tell me what the number is because I feel like he's going to want as much as possible that he's not going to move off of any kind of dough and he's going to want another five-year deal where he kind of holds a lot of the cards within the organization. And, and I don't remember a superstar like this. You know, you want to talk about unprecedented things? I don't remember a superstar that ever wanted to just be on five-year deals, have the most amount of money, never wanted to take a haircut and seemingly showed less care about being the face of uh, a significant franchise that was trying to compete for Stanley Cups. No, I, I disagree with the end of that. Who? But I think that, I think... No, but I, I think that Matthews does want to be the face of everything. You know, I think he does want to be the captain. I think he does want to be in Toronto. I think no, he, I think he does want that. I'm saying I've never seen anybody who wants all the other stuff attached with it. 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's some of it's. I think the new generation, JD. Like, I think that this I mean, is, Nathan uh, McKinnon league, didn't do that. The league. I mean, he he team ended up doing pretty well. I mean, the, Nathan well. McKinnon the deal. Long-term. Yeah, true. That's true. Yeah, but I think that I think you're going to see. I mean, the, the, the Matthew Kachuk is kind of. I mean, he only did the three year deal in Calgary, and he's like, I'm out of here. Mm-hmm. You know, so like Matthews could have done that. He's not doing that. Yeah, but he actually wanted out. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. No, no, no. You got to take it in the totality. I've never seen a guy who wants to be the face of a big franchise who wants to be the highest play, paid player of the year or the highest paid player in the NHL and like has wants that to be like a big attachment doesn't want to move doesn't want to lose line mates and yeah just is not showing any kind of give back to an organization that he claims that he really wants to be a part of like I get it when guys don't want to be somewhere like Kachuk where they go I want the short-term deal this is all for me because I'm going to be moving on and they're basically communicating that honestly like as poorly as Calgary ended up doing in that deal and maybe that one bounces back a bit next year with Huberto getting a new coach and whatever I'm not willing to fully write that one off even though clearly Florida got the best player but at least he did give them the courtesy of going, hey, I'm not, I'm not going to be here, so figure this thing out. With Matthews, it's like nebulous where you go, I, I want to be here, but only if it's on everything that I get. Like only if it's I get every single thing. The line mate I want to play with, a short-term contract, the most amount of money, <laughs> you know, and that's it. That's the way that we're going to operate yeah. within this thing. I'm saying that well, to me is unprecedented. And you wonder like – you wonder how the fan base feels about that. Like, if it doesn't work, like, if it works, it's if, he, complicated. if he comes back next year and he's a 60-goal guy and they have playoff success, everyone will be like, man, that's fine. Yeah. And the other the other thing that really makes it tough, too, J.D., is the cap's going to go up a lot. Yep. And the cap's going to go up a lot right in the year when he needs the new deal. Mm-hmm. And the way that you negotiate these star contracts is you take percentage of cap, right? So he's not coming in with the McKinnon number. He's coming in with the McKinnon number at the percentage of cap it was when McKinnon signed that mm-hmm. with where the cap's going to be. So let's say the cap goes up 8 million, right? Like just as an, as a thought exercise and the caps, you know, 91 or whatever you're timesing 91 by the percentage of what McKinnon got plus, plus probably more mm-hmm. because Matthews is one heart and there's like some things that he's done. Um, that's, that's what you're looking for. And then, and then without the term, it's like, I, I really think that this Matthews contract is going to, there's going to not have been anything that looks like it before. Yeah. He's an agent's dream, right? Like it's always been in hockey. The agents have to tell guys like, you got to not sacrifice and we need this for the next group of guys. And we're fighting for not just your money, but the next superstar that comes up. Matthews is just there. He's like, don't worry about it, guys. I got this. <laughs> I'm going to change all the trends for everybody else to get paid as much as they absolutely want. So, yeah, when you ask me what the – I don't think there is an overpay for a superstar like of his caliber. I just think that you have to capitulate and you have to give him the money. But I just – I do understand the fan base frustration and the complicated feelings and why a guy of his talent – in this market, who has accomplished as much as he has in the regular season and who has been brilliant from literally the very first game that he donned the Maple Leaf sweater, mm-hmm. there are people that go, you know what, um, like, deal him. Because that's crazy talk, right? Like, that's the thing you avoid in pro sports is if you have a superstar who is unquestionably one of the best players in the league, you hope you take that guy and he finishes his career with you. And he's a, the, the first one that I can remember here anyways where people have just kind of gone, nah, of, of his caliber which this organization has not had a lot of, right? This isn't exactly uh, the Maple Leafs since uh, there's been more than six hockey or teams. They haven't exactly been stacked and overwhelmed and overpopulated with megastars here, first ballot Hall of Famers here. And so it's an oddity to me, but 
it, it's not that strange when you dig a little below the surface. Okay, so back to the tray living thing before uh, we wrap this up. Um, and Because I do want to hit on uh, just a couple more things with you because you do know them. Do you feel as though the drama that you outlined that was sort of happening the, the few days after the, the Dubas exit, that that has quelled a little bit, that they, they're starting to get their ducks in a row a bit more now that tray living is here? H- have things settled down to you? L- like how do you perceive just, yeah, the the mood around the front office right now? Yeah, I know it's interesting. I'm out here in Council the Memorial Cup, and the Leafs had all their scouting meetings out here. So there yeah. was a, it was I was like walking around in a Blazers jersey on the concourse, and it's like, oh, there's like, yeah. <laughs> there's a there's the Leafs front office walking around in Kamloops or Serena. So. You were you just wearing the jersey, you just <laughs> sneaking in behind enemy lines. Well, I love this, James. I I ran into some people in the front office, and I was like, go Blazers, go! And you know, it was it was weird. That's I, a tough I, look I, for you wearing a jersey, even if it is as like you're walking around, and it's like guys you interact. They're like, oh. Jersey to a hockey game. I know. Like, I can't even remember the last time. But that's it's what I'm like saying. It's that's 15 tough. years. I can't wait for the yeah. next game you go to in full suit. But yeah, that's, <laughs> you got to do it now. You got to try to I'm, regain the respect. I'm, I'm trying to relive my youth. You know, the yeah. World Cup was here in '95. But anyway, oh, my yeah. point is, is that like the 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 front office is here, and I've, I've bumped into them a little bit. And to go back to what you said, the, I think the key phrase that you used was a little bit. Yeah, I think it's calmed down a little bit. And the, the one of the positives of tree living is he's a good his personality and his experience is the right kind of personality and experience to calm things down. And he's already been talking to Matthews. He's already been talking to people in the front office. And he's going to come in and try and be a peacemaker, try and smooth some things over. I don't think all of that, like I think some of that's still going to be beneath the surface. But the one thing that's interesting, if you've ever been in an organization when there's a big change like that, it also creates opportunity for people too. You know, and I think some people in the front office are like, hey, you know, like some things are going to be moving around here and maybe some, you know, Spets is gone, Dubas is gone. Maybe some more people are going to be gone. Maybe there's an opportunity for me. So, you know, there's a lot of ambitious people in front offices. And I think there's going to be people that are going to be looking at this as a way for them to move up or have more influence and and maybe gain the favor of someone like Tree Living. And it's an interesting idea yep. there that it's not necessarily the worst thing in the world. So I still think we'll probably see some people leave and some, some changes that are made. And if not this year, then the year after, mm-hmm. you know, one of the things that Kyle Dubas did is he got new contracts for a lot of his lieutenants and a lot of the people under him. So, you know, those people are, are, can, can stay around for another year if they want. Um, but I think that, you know, tree, tree living has got a lot to do in the next month. And part of it is winning over the, the players and part of it's winning over his front office staff and, mm-hmm. But I don't think that that's an impossible task right now. No. And again, this is someone who was basically born and raised in the business world, who is a, yeah, just ex- ex- by all accounts, I don't know him, but by all accounts, just an extremely likable hard worker, right? Like yes. someone yeah. who has had to work extremely hard to make sure that his name was separate from just him, his dad, right? Like just, hey, this guy, no, he... He apparently is one of the harder working guys. And that was something I got back from every single person that I fished from was what, how would you describe them? And the same things kept coming up and hard worker was one of them. And yeah, people person was another. And I think that's pretty clear based on just like even the way that he has relationships with some guys in the media. Okay. So, um, two more rat. Let's be a little bit more of a, a rapid fire one. So what, how do you feel about the Keith thing overall? Because to me, this is actually the, like one of the biggest red flags, and, and I don't understand it for the life of me outside of the fact yeah. that there's no real coaches out there of significance. 
Well, I mean, you're, you've always been, I mean, we've been doing this all year. You've always been more down on Keith than, than I am. Like, I yeah. think he's a good coach. I mean, I think he's come up short in the playoffs, but there's a lot of stuff that he does during the regular season. And I know the players really like him too. Like he's, they're, they're really bought in on what he's doing and there's not a lot of friction there, which is a nice change from, from the Babcock and Carlisle and, and Wilson eras. Like, a lot of the time I've covered the team, the players have hated the coach and there's been a lot of going on behind the scenes there. And that's just not there with him. And, you know, in kind of like this era of new school coaches, I think that, and I think that Keith, if you do let him go, I think he's going to have success somewhere else. I really do. Um, but, but there's the baggage that you're talking about. And I wonder if what it is with bringing Keith back is he's got a year left on his deal. Mm-hmm. You see what it, you see what it looks like if, if, if they're just kind of a little bit flat or they're mediocre through the first 30 or 40 games, there's a card you can pull out and you bring someone else in and you hope for like the, the new coach bounce that's very, very common in this league. And the other thing too, with Spencer Carberry goes to Washington. I've been thinking about this the last few days. Spencer Carberry goes to Washington. You've got a hole on that coaching staff mm-hmm. and maybe it's Shanahan or tree living that fills that hole and not Keith. And it's somebody that they're there that, you feel good about elevating into the head coach role if it goes sideways at all. So all of a sudden, Keith, yeah, he comes back, but he comes back with a new, you know, lieutenant or whatever who's not of his choosing, who's basically there looking over his shoulder. It's kind of remember with Carlisle when they blew out all his assistant coaches and they brought in Peter Horacek, yes. who was a guy who had a lot of sad coach in Leafs history. That, that ended in disaster. I know. I feel so bad for I the know, guy. I know. Like, look at I, the bench it, and be like, oh man, get Peter out of there. <laughs> he, he gets his he gets his one opportunity, and the funny thing is he won his first game. Yeah, they and they had that that they had that. They had that special camo jersey that they oh. were wearing when they oh, and yeah. they, the, the players were passing it around. And he, the coach comes out in yeah. the camouflage jersey, and it yeah. was the players were all excited. And then and then they they won like ten of fifty one games to end the season. Anyway, that's an aside. Like, but I think it's the same kind of thing. When they did that, that was when Shanahan first came in, and there was a lot of heat around Randy Carlisle. And I remember asking Shanahan, like one of the first things I ever asked him when I first talked to him when he got the job is, "Why are you keeping Randy Carlisle? Because it's been a mess." And I think part of it was just buying some time and you bring in some different assistant coaches and you get a different look and, you know, and I think that that might be part of what they're thinking here with Keith. Yeah. Hey, guess what? I have really nothing to add because I think that you nailed it completely. I, this is exactly how I feel about it. <laughs> this is the first time you've ever said that. No. What? What? That you, that you covered everything. That's a, Of course, that's the way they should play it and are going to play it if they bring him back. Right. I, I just I think that there are two parts of it that matter uh, that are not tied to him. And one is that he still has the money on his deal. They paid Babcock all that money to go away, and they're like, yeah, yeah. you know what? Just yeah. we're tired of doing this. And we're if we're paying him, let's let's use him. And then two is like I look at the coaches that are out there, right? Like one guy got hired off their staff in Carberry. There's Laviolette who I hate. No. Like, I know that's what I mean. And Gallant he, and Laviolette, and that, that should not be what they do. Negative a million, you know. Like yeah. I have zero, zero, zero. He just had a chance with yes. the marquee franchise, yep. and it was a mess, a disaster. He's not a marquee guy. Put him somewhere. He's. I, I actually think like he's uh, kind of a Laviolette guy, but just for smaller stakes. Where Laviolette, you put him for a couple of years, right? You hope for that boost, that bump, the Laviolette bump. And then you know that this isn't going to be a long tenured thing. Like he's not going to be your coach for the next eight years. But how, I, how about this, JD? Like, yeah. well, I wonder. I mean, this is like radioactive for me to even say it. But like, I mean, there's some bring Babcock back. 
No, 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 no. I was going to say Quenville. Like, I mean, there's some talk behind the scenes that Quenville's really intrigued by the idea of coming to Toronto. And but he's obviously radioactive right now. He hasn't uh-huh. been approved by the league to come back. And maybe at some point that approval comes, and there's some sort of. I don't know if the Leafs would ever touch that, but maybe if you're, you know, eighteen, twenty, and four midway through the year, and you're looking for something to to get back in it, I wonder if they would they would pull the emergency card with something like that. Um, someone's going to hire Quenville if he gets reinstated. Yeah. Yeah. And I they're think there aren't I that many openings left though. Yeah, right. No, like, no, but I, I don't think that dude, I think he's going to be like Barry Trotz where it goes into the season and yes. he's just the looming figure Yes, where yes. He, and then he's around and he sort of waits and sees. I think if you're him though, that it's going to be a similar situation with Amy Adoka and the Toronto Raptors where it was reported that he ultimately wasn't interested in the Toronto job because of the the market and the way that they react, you know, it's just like the oh, fact that yeah. at least he'll get killed but, and, they, and they saying. should. Okay. But they that, should. that's I it. Mean, if you're Quenville, I, I just don't think that the juice is worth the squeeze coming here because people will never be able to like, they'll never let you move on. Right. The better move is for him to say, wait it out and then go somewhere like, yeah, I'm just, just, this is random. Obviously it wouldn't be Vegas based on the success they're having right now, but it's like, a spot like that where you go, oh, they've actually got winning pieces, southern states, uh, no one's going to really bother me. This story goes away, and it's just a social media thing now, not a national media thing that just carries over week after week after week. Okay, last thing. Um, we covered Matthews, and we covered Keefe, and we covered the immediate dynamic between Keefe, or sorry, between Tree Living and Shanahan. This is a tougher one to do. I, I don't even really like it, but everyone's doing the, basically the same thing where they're going this, kind of a different pattern. I think we did a good spin on it today, okay? Like, I don't think that this was a boring one. I think we did well. But everyone's doing the, like, priorities, trailer living's priorities. I'm going to flip that just a little bit. What do you think is the most interesting thing about this hire right now outside of those clear things? Like him not essentially getting to hire a coach, him essentially having to get the Matthews contract done, a Nylander. Like, what's the most interesting thing that you're curious to see with tree living specifically with this hire and with this roster. Hmm. You know, what's kind of interesting is that like he kind of had a chance to do similar things. A lot of people are drawing the parallels between like the Kachuk situation. And I mean, he traded Dougie Hamilton. Like he's had to pull the trigger on some of these big star yep. trades. And he's, so people are saying, Oh, he's a good choice for this. Cause he's got that experience. But then they're saying, don't make one of those trades. And also the one that he made last year did not work. It, it, it did at the time people were saying, Oh, that's, he did a good, nice job, like to get value for the star. But I don't, that's not a, that's not a deal. that's going to look favorable down the line. Like I, Huberto is going to be better next year, but that contract is, it's, it's tough. Yeah. Um, that's the part of it that really spoils it for him where I go, I'm like, I'm forgiving of him of that because I do remember how everyone thought Trey Living pulled the yeah. Panthers' pants down. Weir's a good player. Yeah, like, he is a good player. And yeah. Huberto coming off of that season of successes. And, every, like, I, I I think that was actually one of the most unanimous hockey takes of last offseason was that Trey Living did incredibly well, especially given the fact that he could only negotiate with a set number of organizations, right? Like he couldn't just give him to whatever franchise he wanted. He came out of that. People were laughing and then he used the money on Kadri. It just yeah. looked like, Oh boy, the End flames of the day, are though, Goudreau walks and you trade yep. Chuck and you get an overpriced Huber yep. And like the contract the the day, is it did not, it was, it was not a good off season nope. for them. 
No, it was like not. Craig Conroy talked about in his intro press conference as the new GM is like uh, we would do things differently. I love you know? that. I, th- that's a great move, though. That's if I'm if I'm tree living, I'm doing the exact same thing today. Mm. I'm doing the exact same thing today. Like I'm making it very clear that <sighs> you're not trying to just completely bury the guy before you. But I want to hear from him today that he's like, nah, I, I do not see things the way that Kyle Dubas is. I'm not here to just be the Shanahan puppet that maybe you guys think I might be. I, like, I, I have... I wonder if he gets asked that today. Yeah, I mean, no. And I wouldn't even have the guts to ask it. I'd be so afraid. I'd be trembling. I'm like, uh, are you just a puppet, sir? He's like, uh, yeah. Uh, you know that uh, I have power, right? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I'd have a job for much longer. But you know what I mean? Like, I think that's a good one. I think that's a good one. He's like, you're right. He's the guy that's done that. But now they're potentially going to run it back. I, I just, yeah, it's very. Do you odd. have another one? Like, is yeah. there something else? Like, I can't. I couldn't come up with anything. I mean, the other thing that's interesting to me, just because I'm a nerd for this stuff, mm-hmm. is like they've got a lot of cap space. They've got a lot of flexibility. Mm-hmm. They uh, they got a lot, whole bunch of roster holes. Like, what does he do with that? And the the one, if if we're talking big trade, the one guy I really like that's that's from where he was is Lindholm. Like, I think Elias Lindholm yeah. is he's only making four point eight. He's he's a center. If you could bring him in as your second, he's really good defensively, like a runner-up for the the Selkie, I think last year. Like mm-hmm. he's he's and I, he's going to need a big time contract after this next year at four point eight. But he's cheap for one year. He's really good. Could come in as your two C. You can push Tavares to the wing. If there's any way to get him into Toronto? I think he's exactly what they need. Completely. So agree. I don't know. If, I don't know if there's a world where you can pull that trade off. But that really interests me. If you can. The only way that you pull it off, though, is that you're involving Nylander in that deal, and so mm-hmm. you're getting other stuff back. And then it looks, yeah, just an, it's an odd thing to be trading. <laughs> you know, making. That particular move, uh, it just. I want to play him with Nealander though. I want to create like some sort of Swedish. Yeah, but then how else are you interesting? Doing? There's nothing of value that you're doing. Like the the one clear thing I can tell you is that Matthew. Well, there's nice. talk out of Calgary about futures and stuff like that, right? Like yeah, potentially but, like trading him for a first round pick or but what? But yeah, no, the Toronto's first round pick being Boston's this year is like how appealing is that to them? And then outside no, of Matthew Nyes, they just don't really have too much of value. Like, yeah. is Calgary yeah. going to talk themselves into the? You know, the specter of Nick Robertson? Like, no, that's done. Like, we're done, we're done with these crazy things. Here's my quick one. Um, what I think is really interesting is that he, like, what his relationship is like with TJ Brody and Mark Giordano, mm. two former Flames that yeah. he decided not to keep together who carry some sway in that dressing room and who, yeah, yeah are real guys, you know? But so he had a good relationship in Calgary a long time. Yeah. Like you, you look back at the team that tree living inherited in 2014 when he first went to, it was to bad. Calgary. It was bad. There's there's Yuri Hoodler was their yeah. top scorer. They had no, one guy with 50 points and it was Yuri Hoodler. Like, yeah. and, but the two pieces he did have was Giordano and Brody. Like they were the, his, yep. they were his core that were carrying that team in the early years. So there's a lot of, there's a lot there. There's a lot of history there between them. And I, I, I think a lot of it's good, at least from what I know. Yep. Uh, we'll see. James, we got to run. I went right up against it. Thanks for doing this, buddy. I'll talk to you later. Okay. The Tano Bass Bet's next. Sportsnet 590, the All right. It's time for Best Bets brought to you by Botano Sportsbook, the 2022 Global Sports Betting Operator of the Year. Made you some money on that Botano Best Bet yesterday. Ran into some people who started using it. And who were winners last night because of me. Uh, no big deal. Just on the first at-bat of the game, Matt Chapman. I told you, sometimes the wins are so good that they're boring. It's like sat there and went, all right, what else are we supposed to be doing here? Matt Chapman hit in the first one. 
Um, okay, so tonight the NBA Finals starts. I really like the Nuggets in the series. I think they're going to dominate. But I like Michael Porter Jr. tonight because he was he got 10 rebounds in each of his last two games against the Lakers team that had a lot more size. I don't love Bam as a rebounder, and I just don't like the that that team as a whole as rebounders. I think they're going to miss a lot of shots tonight. I like the opportunity for Michael Porter Jr. to go over 7.5 rebounds at plus 112. That's your Botano best bet.